Well, Mother's Day, it is defined by Wikipedia as a celebration honoring the mother of the family, as well as motherhood, maternal bonds, and the influence of mothers in society. It is celebrated on various days in many parts of the world, most commonly in the months of March or May. Brothers and sisters, I'm thankful that our society still recognizes Mother's Day. And frankly, I don't know how long that is going to continue. Why would I say that? Because the lines of reality, morality, and ethics in our society are no longer the contours of the absolutes that are set forth in the Bible. According to the Bible, God is the author of all things. He is the creator of all things. God is the definer of reality. He defines what is true and what is false, what is good and what is bad. From God's revelation in his word, the Bible, we learn who God is, and we therefore come to know who we are and, and why we are here. According to God's revelation in his word, man, mankind, is the apex the high point, as one author puts it, the Mount Everest of man's, of, of creation. We alone are made in the image and likeness of God. And in the beginning, when God made mankind, it clearly states in Genesis 1, he made them what? Male and female. But our day is one that is not only post-Christian, but is becoming increasingly anti-Christian. God is disappearing from our society along with his word. And so reality, without the foundation of God's word, reality comes up for grabs. And gender is up for grabs. I googled, out of curiosity, how many genders are there in 2021? One article listed 33. Another listed 64 genders. I'll give you just a sample. It's quite sickening. I think I read through all of them, but I'll give you just a sample. Transgender man, transgender woman, non-gender, non-binary, gender fluid, demigender, pangender, androgyne, bigender, trigender, gender dysphoria, gender questioning, feminine presenting, masculine presenting, intersex, third gender, misgender when you call someone wrongly according to what they want to be called, and on and on it goes. One author concludes the acronym LGBT was once considered sufficiently representational of non-heterosexual sexuality and gender types. Well, it looks like we're going to need a few more letters. Another concludes with this statement, the bottom line, it's amazing that gender, something many of us thought was a very simple concept, is actually so personal, nuanced, and complex. For that reason, it's totally okay if this list is a lot to digest. And that was the one who listed 64 gender terms. Brothers and sisters, it actually is very simple, a very simple concept. God made in the beginning male and female. Females alone can give birth and become mothers. How we got to where we are in our current society, that would take some time to unpack. But in a nutshell, we have followed the tragic path of Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 tells us that everybody knows God through the creation. 
But man suppresses the truth about God in his heart. He refuses to acknowledge God and give thanks. As a result, his foolish heart becomes darkened. It leads to sexual immorality, sexual revolution, homosexual revolution, which is happening in our society and in our world. And we're told at the end of that passage that God gives them over to a reprobate mind, a mind that is not fit to operate as it ought to operate. We are told in that passage that instead of worshiping the creator, we turn to worshiping the creature. And man's creature of choice to worship is always himself. And so the great sin in our society is the sin of human autonomy, human independence, where we've cut ourselves off from God and we believe that we can define reality. We can determine how many genders there are, no longer submitting to the clear word of God. But brothers and sisters, God delivers us from such intellectual and moral insanity. He's given us his eternally true word, and God's word tells us what his ideal is for the two genders that he has created, men and women. And perhaps the fullest portrait that we have of godly womanhood, wifehood, and motherhood is, and you're probably guessing, Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 to 31. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 31, and we will look at verses 10 to 31. Verse 10 begins, An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The description that follows is that of an excellent wife. The word excellent, when it applies to a woman, means virtuous. A virtuous wife who can find. Charles Bridges calls this passage the full-length portrait of a virtuous woman. It says her value is far above jewels. Jewels are very valuable on earth in our society. Think of 1 Peter 3, where certain qualities in a woman, a gentle and quiet spirit, is referred to as precious in the sight of God. An excellent wife who can find her worth is far above jewels. She is so valuable, but sadly, she is very rare. Who can find such a virtuous woman? Well, I think the answer is, if she is to be found anywhere, she's to be found in the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, where God's redeemed women are there. And so let's look at this full-length portrait of a godly wife and mother. First thing we want to note from verse 11 is her dependability. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. The word trust expresses a sense of well-being and security which results from having something or someone in whom to place confidence. The Hebrew lexicon tells us that it stresses the feeling of being safe or secure. It's the word used in Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Well, the heart of this godly woman's husband trusts in her. And we ask, in what areas is she trustworthy? In what areas can her husband trust her? Well, first of all, he can trust her to be true to the marriage covenant, right? She, can be, she will be faithful till death parts them. He can depend on that. He can depend on her proper use of money. She will be faithful with the family's finances. 
she will be thrifty, wise, self-controlled, as we'll see this godly woman is. She is dependable when it comes to the children. When she spends time with the children, the husband can count on the fact that he, she will be an example to them and she will be raising them in the ways of the Lord. She will be dependable in the home in general. The husband can be at rest that not only are the children being controlled, but the household duties are being carried out, that she's diligently working on the home front. Another area where she is dependable is his reputation. Verse 23 says, her husband is known in the gates. And the connection seems to be because of the godliness of his wife, he has a good reputation. And so he can depend on her that by her life, she will do nothing to shame him but will only enhance his reputation. Proverbs 12, 4 says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. And so I ask you, married women, can this be said of you? Does the heart of your husband trust in you in all of these areas? And I would say to you, young women and girls who are not yet married, are you learning to be dependable Are you being dependable now in the home when your parents ask you to do something? Can they count on the fact that it will get done? If so, you are preparing to be that dependable wife in whose heart your husband will one day trust. So we have her dependability. Then we have her profitability in verse 11b. He will have no lack of gain. The word gain in Hebrew refers to plunder or spoil from war. And this chapter has a lot to say about the financial blessing that a godly wife is to her home. Look at verse 13. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. Verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Verse 18. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Now, she is not the primary breadwinner in the family, but her wise purchases and her wise management of the family's resources is a great blessing to the family, to her husband. Even if she is not the primary handler of the finances, and sometimes in a family, a wife may be the the one who primarily handles the finances. There's nothing wrong for a husband to delegate that to his wife, if his wife is especially skilled at that. She may or may not be the one who handles the finances, but this godly woman, any godly woman, ought to have some knowledge of banking and bookkeeping and balancing the checkbook and bill paying. It is good for her to be frugal, to know how to get the best uh, use of the money, to buy things on sale. And so I say to you young women, as you prepare for marriage and to be a profitable blessing to your family in marriage, learn about money management. Learn how to budget and save. Learn how much food costs. Learn how to be frugal and to get the best deals. Exercise self-control in buying. This, too, will be a blessing to your husband someday. And then, next, we look at what I'm calling her perpetuity of goodness, verse 12. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Goodness is often in the Bible the opposite of evil. They're often set against one another in a moral and ethical realm. A wife's overarching 
calling in her marriage is to do her husband good. Consider some of the women in the Bible who did not do their husbands good, beginning with Eve. Eve was tempted by the serpent. She ate the fruit, and she gave to her husband with her. Now, it was his fault for taking it. He has greater blame, but she did not do him good in leading him into temptation. Job's wife, when Job was suffering inexplicably, Job's wife's counsel was curse God and die. That was not doing him good. Solomon's many wives, and he's to be faulted for taking those many wives, led him away from the true God to worship false gods. Jezebel, that wicked woman Jezebel, added fuel to the fire of her husband's self-pity and made a scheme by which he would shed innocent blood and get this this vineyard that he so coveted. Rebecca plotted with her son Jacob to deceive her husband Isaac. Rachel brought household idols when she and Jacob left our father Laban. Michael, David's wife, despised him when he was rejoicing in God. Some women did not do good to their husbands, but a godly wife will not be a snare to her husband, but will be a a true help to him. How will she be a help to him? How will she do him good? Well, supremely, she will do him good spiritually. This is a a fascinating account from the 1940s. In 1945, in the violent afterglow of World War II, a million Russian troops came into Romania to back the new communist government. Shortly after, at a national meeting of religious leaders broadcasted on the radio, Many pastors came forward publicly to endorse the new atheistic regime. Yet when it came time for a certain Lutheran pastor, Richard Wormbrand, to address the meeting, his wife Sabina turned to him and said, Richard, stand up and wash away this shame from the face of Christ. He said, if I do so, you'll lose your husband. This woman, who was doing her husband good, replied, I don't wish to have a coward as a husband. So Wormbrand stood up and exhorted his brother pastors and the whole nation via radio to serve Christ alone, not to sacrifice their faith for their new communist masters. Within three years, he was arrested by the secret police and imprisoned. He suffered through two imprisonments lasting 14 years in total and underwent many tortures for the sake of Christ. His example of bravely witnessing for Christ at great personal risk is a model for us. But Sabina was a, she did her husband good. You are to do your husband good morally and ethically, women, urging him always to be honest and upright and a man of integrity in all of his dealings. You're to do him good by encouraging him, letting him know that you're you're behind him, you're for him. You're to do him good by submitting to his leadership. Now, that is not a blind submission. When the Bible calls you to be submissive to your husbands, that is not a blind, um, unintelligent submission. It doesn't mean there aren't times when you are not to challenge your husband. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You, You know his weaknesses. You know his blind spots. And you do him good when you challenge him and bring correction to him and point out his blind spots but always remember to do it respectfully in your choice of words and in your tone of voice. Do him good by working hard to manage the household and children in his absence. Do him good by being sensitive to his physical needs as a man. 
And it says that she does him good all the days of her life. Do him good perpetually. At times, he will appreciate the good you're doing. At times, he will not. Continue to do him good, whether he appreciates it or not, because remember, you're doing it unto the Lord. But I would remind you men, do you have a wife who does you good and not evil? Don't ignore that. Take note of that. Give her the praise that is due her. Fill her sails with encouragement as she does you good, and she will continue to do your good, you good, and you both will be blessed. The next quality of this godly woman and mother is her joy. Look at verse 13. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. The word means to experience emotional delight. It's the word used of King Saul, who delighted in David when David defeated Goliath. He would later turn against David, but at that point, oh, he was delighted that David had won a victory for the nation. It's the word David uses in Psalm 1 when he, he speaks of delighting in the law of the Lord. Well, this woman is one who works with her hands in delight, and it's noteworthy that the source of delight here is one of her most tedious tasks, making clothing. She would use either wool to make warm clothing or flax to make, you know, undergarments for, um, for cooler weather and tunics. And in that day, as you know, making clothing was a matter of doing the whole nine yards. She would pursue the proper raw materials. She would purchase them. Then she would do the drying, the peeling, the beading, the combing, the spinning, dye the wool and weave it, and then the clothing would be made. You would think that this tedious job of making clothing would be a source of grumbling and complaining, but it is one of her most tedious tasks that is a source of joy to her. She does it with delight. Why so? Well, if we look at the end of the passage, we see that, verse 30, that she is a woman who fears the Lord. And for God's people to fear the Lord is to love the Lord. She loves the Lord. And so she does even this mundane duty with delight out of love for God. She also loves her husband. Verse 12 says she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So love for her husband motivates her to work with joy, and she loves her children. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household. And so what is it that gives this woman joy in her most tedious work? Love for God, love for her husband, love for her children. And love and joy go together. Brothers and sisters, we are made to love God and to love others. And when we live that kind of life, it will bring joy because that's what God intended for us. Not to live for ourselves, not to be self-absorbed, but to love God and love neighbor. Doesn't Jesus sum up the entire law under those two commands? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this woman, out of love for God, love for husband, love for children, does her work with delight. Well, may it be so with you as well. God will give you grace to do your work with joy. You might ask yourself, if there was a gauge that measured your delight versus your grumbling, like we have a gauge to measure the strength of a battery. If you're questioning your battery strength, you, you um, 
go to a battery tester, and on the one side is green, which means it's good. On the other side, red, which means it's weak. What would your gauge register most of the day? If green is gratitude and joy and delight, and the red is grumbling and complaining and grousing, where would the needle be most of the day? Keep in mind, mothers, that you are being an example to your children, in particular your daughters. So be like this godly woman who works with her hands in delight. The next thing we see about this woman is her industry in verses 14 to 16. It says she's like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. The word industry means earnestness, diligence, exertion, persistence. This is a woman who is industrious. Consider the direction of her industry. Where is she industrious? Well, she's industrious in providing food for her family, as we just read. She's like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She's industrious in providing clothing for her children. Verse 13, she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. And she's industrious regarding the general needs of the family. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household. Is this the primary direction of your efforts? For a wife and for a mother, the home is to be the central place. Now, you have gifts that are needed in the church. You have gifts that are useful to reach a lost world. But we see that this woman's focus is first on her own home. Yes, there's a time and place for your gifts to be used outside of the home but not to the neglect of the home and family. So the direction of her industry, the dimensions of her industry, how is she industrious? Well, she has the discipline of rising early and retiring late. 31.15 says she rises also while it is still night. And then 18b says her lamp does not go out at night. The point is she's not a lazy woman. Now, we shouldn't be legalistic. Some of you are morning people, and you're more productive in the morning. And some of you are not morning people at all, but you're very productive into the later hours of the night. We don't want to be legalistic here. Um, we all need different amounts of sleep. Wasn't it remarkable that former President Trump seemed to have needed only four or five hours of sleep a night? That, that's an anomaly. That's pretty unusual. Um, so there are a lot of variables here, but the point is, She's not a lazy woman. She gets up early. She stays up late into the night to do her work. There's also the diligence of prudent purchases. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Uh, she's not impulsive. She thinks about a purchase before she commits to it. There's a commitment to hard work. 16b says, from her earnings, she plants a vineyard. 17 says, she girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She's industrious in the sense that she's not afraid of hard work. Um, to gird up the loins is to gather up the dress and secure it with a girdle-like belt. She's like, it says like she's rolling up her sleeves here. Uh, part of her work is, is physical. She makes her arms strong. 
That means she's not so prissy and delicate that she's averse to doing some physical work. Now, we're not saying that she's a bodybuilder here, but she has some tone in her muscles. Now, we have a lot of modern conveniences, right, that um, limit the physical work that a woman has to do. Thankfully, you don't have to um, churn your own butter, spin your own cloth. You don't have to go down the river to wash your clothes. But there's still physical work that needs to be done. Um, in these weeks when I've been rather weak and um, unable to help, my wife has gardened so much of our yard. It really looks beautiful. She has been out there every day with the shovel and spade and, and, um, and doing that, that hard physical work. And then there's the exercise of preparation and evaluation. She not only works hard, but she works smart. Verse 13, 16, she considers a field and buys it. Verse 21, she's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. You see, she considers before she buys. She anticipates the cold of winter, and she plans for it. Verse 25 says, she smiles at the future because she's prepared for the future. And she also evaluates Verse 18, she senses that her gain is good. The word senses literally means she tastes that her gain is good. She evaluates her expenditures. So here is a godly woman's industry, her industriousness. She's quite a role model, isn't she, for wives and mothers to follow. Next thing I want us to see is her creativity. Verse 13, she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Verse 18, she senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Here's a woman who's always thinking of new and creative ways to bless her husband and her family. Notice the verbs, she looks. She considers, she senses, she makes, she supplies. She's alert to use what she has for maximum advantage for her family. How can I buy better food at better prices? How can I buy clothing for better prices? What can I do to make our home more attractive, more comfortable, more hospitable? Are there any skills that I have that might be able to bring in some extra income? In her case, she's a seamstress. And so she makes linen garments and, and sells them. We see here that it's not wrong for a woman to earn an income. She was doing that. It was not wrong for the woman to work outside the confines of the home. But please note again that everything she does is for the benefit of her family. For years, I have been comfortable using this language that the godly wife and mother is not homebound, but she is home-centered. Nothing she did was to the neglect of her first priority under God, that is her husband and her children. And then note her energy. You read this section and you are impressed with the physical strength and energy of this woman. She looks for wool and flax. 
She works with her hands. She brings food from afar. She rises while it is still night. She gives food. She considers. She buys. She girds herself with strength. She makes her arms strong. She stretches out her hands. She makes coverings for herself. She makes linen garments. There's a lot of active verbs here, isn't there? She's a woman who is mentally and physically active and energetic. And as you know, energy doesn't just happen. There are certain things we need to do to maximize our energy. One of those is proper diet. We hear the phrase, we are what we eat, and that's very much true. Diet affects us mentally and physically. Diet too high in carbs and sugar will put weight on us, which will drain our energy. The heart and the blood vessels need to maintain the fat tissue, and it siphons blood away from other bodily functions. Excess weight means we get tired more quickly, we have less energy. We're stewards of our bodies. And so this woman's energy probably came from eating a proper diet. And then there's proper exercise. Now for her, her work was her exercise. And we have a lot of electric servants that do the work for us. That means we often need to supplement with exercise. We need to do walking and running and a treadmill and use exercise machines, but her strong arms are commended here. There's nothing virtuous about a flabby, unfit body. It suits us for mental and physical work. And then there's proper rest. Now, how do we know she has proper rest? I mean, she's rising up early. She is um, working late into the night. It seems as though she's burning the candle at both ends. And usually when we talk about that, that's not a good thing, right? You're pushing yourself too hard. You're burning the candle at both ends. You're going to wear yourself out. The reason I think we know that she got proper rest is she smiles at the future. She's a woman who has prepared, worked hard, and she's smiling at the future. That's not the picture of a woman who's, who's overstressed and working, overworking. She smiles at the future. She's not frazzled and stressed out. So we have this woman with great energy. That energy doesn't happen naturally, either in 1000 BC or in 2021. There are laws of nature that need to be obeyed. And so proper diet, proper exercise, and rest are timeless means of maintaining our physical energy. May God help you as a godly wife and mother to have that physical and mental energy as much as is possible. There are a lot of variables Different people have different physical conditions. We have different genetic makeups, and we don't want to have a one-size-fits-all, but we want to be as physically fit as we can be to do the work that God has called us to do. And then her ministry of mercy, verse 20, she extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. This is a, a noteworthy thing, brothers and sisters, She doesn't draw such tight circle around her family that her whole ministry is to her family. I've thought about this, and it occurs to me that sometimes, see, we react to the world because the world is so neglectful of family. In this age of feminism, women going outside the home, neglecting their children, we as Christians rightly react to that. We want to be family-centered unlike the world. But if we're only family-centered, it can be an extension of self-centeredness. 
Because even though family is foundational and important, life is more than your family. There's a church family that needs to be served. Remember, God says, do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. There's a world out there that is lost and needs to be won. And so we see that it's not only important to minister to the family, but as occasion allows, to minister outside and beyond the family. This godly woman reflects the heart of God, who in the Old Testament is shown over and over again to care about the poor and the needy. This woman has a heart for ministry, and in this she's in good company. You think of godly Abigail, who fed David 600 men. You think of the widow of Zarephath, who took in the prophet Elijah, the Shunammite woman who fed and lodged the prophet Elisha. Dorcas, in Acts chapter 9, made clothes for widows in the early church. Might it be that God's blessing upon this household was in part due to her generosity beyond the household? So ladies, I commend to you that in addition to ministering to your family, you consider ways of ministering outside of your family. Having your family minister to others outside of the family. Don't be so self-focused that it's only all about our family. This was a woman who cared for the needy. Now, this often, this has a lot to do with seasons of life. When you have a lot of young children in the home, that will consume most of your time. In the case of my wife with an empty nest, she has been able for the last decade plus to give herself to an organization, as you know, SWAN, that helps um, the children of the incarcerated through music and mentoring. And she's been able to give full time to that because we're no longer raising children in the home. So there's a season for everything. But consider what has God given you as a skill by which you might serve outside the family? and serve with your family, serving the church of Jesus Christ and serving the lost. There is a season for everything. Next, we want to see her eye for quality, beauty, and propriety. Verses 21 and 22. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. This is a woman who has an eye for quality and an eye for beauty, for aesthetics. She wants to furnish her family with the best she can. Now, sometimes when you think of that, you think of, well, that's vanity, that's pride, that's, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. And when I talk of keeping up with the Joneses, I often note that we have two neighbors across the street that are the Joneses, they're two brothers. If we had to keep up with the Joneses, we have more than one Jones to keep up with. Um, but it's not a matter of keeping up with the Joneses, not trying to impress people. She has concern for the safety and dignity of her family. But notice verse 21. She's not afraid of snow for her household. Her, her household are clothed with scarlet. Scarlet was wool, and it was a quality garment. It required repeated dips in the dye. It was costly. Her own clothing is quality. It's purple. 
it, that was an expensive dye extracted in small quantities from an Eastern Mediterranean shellfish. It was the color of royalty. But this was obviously a wealthy woman. Her husband is a leader in the community. When it speaks of covering, she makes coverings for herself. It has to do with tapestries, carpets, upholstery, woven pillows, coverlets. The emphasis is, is not merely on practicality and functionality, but on quality and beauty. And we must not despise that. God is the creator, and what God creates is good, and what God creates is quality, and what God creates is beautiful. When Jesus made wine in John chapter 2, he made the best wine. Wasn't that their testimony? You've saved the best till last. When Jesus made wine, he made quality wine. And so, as Christians, we ought to have an eye for quality, an eye for beauty in the products we purchase and the things that we make. We shouldn't be known for being drab and shabby. But I also mentioned propriety. She dresses in the way she does because she's a woman of high social standing. Her husband is a leader in the community, and she dresses to befit her station. And God's not indifferent to that. There shouldn't be a leveling there. Now, as the body of Christ, we come from all different stations of life, all educational backgrounds, all social strata. And that's a glorious thing. When we are all brought together under the banner of Christ, we treat each other equally, we love each other, because the thing that is most important about each other is our relationship to God. And so the Christian body is a diverse body, socially, educationally, etc. And yet, there is a place for fitting in with the stratum of society where God has placed you. This woman was a wealthy woman, husband was a leader, and she dressed to fit the part. And there's nothing to be despised about that. And then finally, know with me her supreme priority, verses 28 to 30. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. We have here a beautiful portrait of a seasoned, godly woman, wife, and mother. She's devoted to her husband. She's devoted to her children in all these dimensions. We've seen her productivity, her dependability, her profitability, the perpetuity of her goodness, her joy, her industry, her creativity, her ministry, her eye for quality and beauty. But the secret to her life and the true beauty of her person is found in this. She is a woman who fears the Lord. Above all else, this is her top priority, her relationship to the true and living God. Whatever other beauty she has of face and form will fade, but this is a beauty that will increase. Remember, 2 Corinthians 4 says, the outer man is perishing, but the inner man is renewed day by day. All else will fade and dim. This is a beauty that keeps on growing. The outer man perishes, the inner man is being renewed day by day. This is what causes her husband 
and children to rise up and call her blessed. So as I close, I ask you men, do you have such a wife as this? Or perhaps she's a young wife and she's not quite there, but she's there in bud form. And you see these qualities developing in her. If that's the case, husbands, rise up and call her blessed. Give her the praise that she deserves. Children, do you have a mom who looks like this or is growing into this likeness? Rise up and bless her. Thank you. Thank her for being a mom who loves God, who loves Jesus, and is becoming more and more like him all the time. And I say to you, young women, keep in mind that this is a very seasoned, godly, older woman. Don't be discouraged that you're not quite there in every dimension. But young women, make sure you're on the trail of pursuing these virtuous traits. And young men, I say finally to you, do you want to find a a good and godly wife? There is no better place in the Bible to look than to this full-length portrait of a godly woman, wife, and mother. Study this passage and make sure that the woman you commit to is at least on the path of becoming this Proverbs 31 woman. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you made male and female, and you haven't left us to wonder what we are to be as men or women. You've given us a portrait of a godly man and the qualifications for an elder in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And here, Lord, you've given us this full-length portrait of what godly womanhood, wifehood, and motherhood looks like. We thank you for that. And thank you for the women among us who who portray these virtues and for the young women that are increasingly displaying and growing into these virtues. We pray that your blessing would be upon our wives and mothers to be such women, to be such blessings to their family and to their husband. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name.